Pistons fans, this is the Sports Ethos Pistons Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Gadaris. Happy to be here for our launch episode. You can find me going forward three times a week on sportsethos.com, dropping new pods, covering the second half of the Detroit Pistons 21-22 season. You can also find me on Twitter, at Ethos Pistons. Now that we're launching the show, hopefully I'll be a little more active on the Twitter side of things, but I'm excited to be here. As I said, this is our launch episode, and this might be a good time in the launch episode for me to do my first ad read. Listeners, please take a moment to follow Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. Go give us a follow right now. And let's get into the show. And let's start by acknowledging we're doing this halfway through the season, which clearly in some ways not ideal, but in some ways maybe it is. Maybe it's okay if you, the listener, skipped the first half of the season, right? That's sort of the perspective I'm taking because I kind of have to. And I want to use this episode as sort of a setting the stage, setting the scene for the second half of the season and for this podcast. So if you've been following the entire season, you might find this podcast a bit summarial a bit high level, a bit bird's eye view. And that's on purpose. That's true. In future episodes, I'll do a lot more game by game analysis, you know, talking of course also about rumors and news, roster, coach, GM, whatever. I I'm down to talk about any topic related to the Pistons. So, we're going to do 3 a week. It's going to be a lot more consistent. We'll be able to talk about games as they happen you know, trade deadline coming up. There could be a lot that happens in the second half of the season. And, you know, that tends to be true, right, of a team that's so young that is depending on the development and the improvement of young players. The second half of the season tends to be better. These guys tend to get better. At least that is if they are to be NBA players And so today I want to start first episode of the pod with my analysis, my bird's eye view of the restoration of the Detroit Pistons. And of course, when I say restoration, I'm referring to the rebuild, as every other organization calls it. But to the Pistons, it's the restoration. That's Troy Weaver's words. Pistons are 9 and 31. We're just shy of the 50% mark. Tomorrow against the Raptors on Friday, January 14th, we'll play our 41st game. 9 and 31, it's good for the second worst record in basketball, better than only the Orlando Magic. 
giving us the second best lottery odds, which is exciting from a restoration point of view. But from a present reality point of view, the product on the floor night in, night out tends to be unexciting at best <laughs> and horrible most often. The Pistons won five games in the 2021 portion of this regular season. So, as I said, the team does tend to get better. A young team like this tends to get better as the players improve. And the Pistons maybe are getting better. It's hard to say. They're 4-3 and three in the calendar year 2022. Just to give you like that brief recap of 2022. Because right, I'm focused on the future. And I feel like we've seen some glimpses of the future in each of these games. So, something a little different. First, on New Year's Day, the Spurs. The Pistons get a huge overtime victory, 117-116, to in Hamadou Diallo's career game. Hami goes for 34, 14, 4 assists, 5 steals, and 2 blocks in 50 minutes. Remember, overtime game. In a game that the roster is severely depleted, Missing Cade, Killian, Saban Lee, Isaiah Stewart to COVID protocols. Still missing Jeremy Grant and Kelly Olynyk to injury. And it featured probably the highlight of the season to this point. The Sadiq Bay corner three game winner with basically no time left. Uh, huge shot, heavily contested, miracle type of shot, and it goes in. Um, it's definitely the type of win you can feel good about as a tanking team, as a as a really bad team with a roster that's not constructed to win. If you win on the back of an enormous game from Hamadou Diallo and a massive shot from Sadiq Bey, you can feel pretty good about it. Those are two parts of the rebuild. Those are two players important to the future of the team. The Pistons followed that up with a second consecutive win against, of all teams, the Milwaukee Bucks, reigning champs and a team that has just dominated the Pistons in recent years. I forget the exact figure. I think it's 16 games in a row the Bucks had beat the Pistons coming into this one, including multiple blowouts this season. And it was a career game from Sadiq Bay, with Cade back, with Killian back, with Saban back, that really pushed the Pistons over their, you know, bullies. Sadiq had 34 points, a career high, eight threes, eight rebounds, four assists, and a steal. He shoots 55%, two of two from the line. It was a good game from Cade. 19 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists, and a block, shooting 53% with 3 threes. And this was a team, a Bucks team, that had Giannis and Drew and Chris. They were full strength. So on back-to-back nights, the Pistons get big victories fueled by the young guys playing really well. 
Josh Jackson also played really well against the Bucks in 19 minutes. He had 24 points. So that's it. That's the formula for success right there. And then reality. Back-to-back, yeah, back-to-back nights. The Pistons get blown out. Two 30-point losses. One, Charlotte Hornets. They lose 140-111. to 111. And the next game, the Memphis Grizzlies, they lose 118-88. to 88. Um, In each game, the opponent gets out to a, you know, roughly 20-point lead in the first quarter, and the Pistons are not making a comeback. Rather, they're letting it slip away. Don't need to dwell too much on that other than to say that, again, a young team is going to be really inconsistent. And though I think they will improve by the end of the season, we're going to have measured improvement. That process is slow and it's a slog. And highs are followed by lows. The Pistons then play the Orlando Magic, the worst team in basketball. And they picked up another win, their third win in 2022, 97 to 92. This was a game where the Magic shot 30% from the field. They did their best Pistons impression. The Pistons shot 43%. That's not much better, but it is better, and it was enough to win. Only by five. Which leads me to two games that I think are worth you know, bringing up as I talk about the restoration for the last half of the show. And that is the Utah Jazz on Monday, January 10th. The Pistons get their most exciting win of recent memory because it was fueled by Cade Cunningham. We've staked all of our hopes on Cade, right? He's, he's proven to be the franchise player. He's the foundation. For him to have a career-high 29 points, eight assists, two steals, two blocks in this game, massive. And to have that 18-point third quarter where he played more like an MVP than a rookie of the year was massive, right? Just a glimpse into the future. But it was really nice also, and it's nice for me as the podcast host, to have also gotten the Bulls game the next day on January 11th. The Pistons lose. This probably was their worst loss of the year. Um, I haven't confirmed that, but it was a 46-point loss. 133 to 87. The Bulls are a first place team. And I should say the Jazz are a really good team. The, the Bulls are a first place team. And by no means did I expect us to come in here and beat the Bulls. Um, but, you know, it was a really ugly game. Aside from Cade's early uh, couple of threes that he hits right out of the gate, he was ice cold. Eight points. It was a game that in the second half, the Bulls scored 72 points. The Pistons scored 35. The Bulls scored 36 points in each of the last two quarters. The Pistons scored 35 points in the second half. Yeah, Cade was 3 of 11 shooting. So I just want you to understand the highs and the lows. right? And a great game, a career game by Cade, can easily be followed by one of his worst games. So night in, night out, we're watching the core. We're watching the young players. Who's trending up? Who's trending down? But the only end that we're looking for is at the end of the season, 
Can we say that this guy improved? In what ways? And then I think we can start to extrapolate out like how he fits next to Cade, how they fit, you know, with whoever we pick with our top draft pick. There's still a lot of pieces moving around. I do think that when we talk about Cade, Killian, Sadiq, Isaiah Stewart, even Saban Lee, these guys have all year to figure it out. The Pistons are not going to move on from them this season. Obviously, Cade and Sadiq, I think, are as secure as anyone ever. But even Killian and Isaiah Stewart, who have struggled this year, are as secure on this roster as you could be given that they were both high draft picks last year who have shown some flashes. Isaiah Stewart maybe more than Killian. But I want to get into all of this right now. I've prepared a little segment that I will bring up in the future again. So I'm going to try and be consistent with it and try and figure out the format for this segment. But we are going to rank the restoration. We're going to take an in-depth look at each player that is a part of the restoration and just talk about where they're at halfway through this season at the 50% mark. But before we do, let's do another ad read. So, hey, we have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos, Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use code ethos when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks, plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night. Score points when your props hit, and the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. Check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. All right, back to ranking the restoration. Let's start with, of course, the most important player, the unquestioned most important player on the Pistons. It is Cade Cunningham. In terms of the restoration ranker, I have him in a tier all his own, the franchise tier. And that's because that's exactly what Cade was brought in to be, the franchise player. The foundation of the restoration. The guy that the team is shaped around and in the image of. Thought to be a very rare type of prospect, right? There's not many guys, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, who can guard one through three, who can shoot the three, really score at all three levels, get to the hoop. Strong passer, strong defender. Coming out of college, the book on Cade was he had no flaws, no obvious flaws. And so he was going to be an extremely well-rounded playmaker, generational type of talent, potentially. Now, he hasn't come out of the gate on fire, right? We know that in the beginning of his career, he had the foot injury. He got off to a slow start. He's still only shooting 39% for the season, which is not particularly good. But he's averaging 15, 5, and 5 with a steal and a half. And, you know, it's, for context, pretty close to LaMelo Ball's stats last year when he won the Rookie of the Year, averaging 16, 6, and 6. 
And the rookie of the year is not everything, right? We don't actually care that much about it. In fact, at this point, Cade is not the favorite to win it. It's looking like Evan Mobley of the Cleveland Cavaliers, the third pick in the draft. But what we're looking at are the high points, the low points, and the progress. Lucky for me, as a podcaster, I have perfect examples the last two games to pull on in illustrating where Kate is at right now. The Jazz game, as I said, on Monday, career best game for Cade. 29, 29 points is a career high. Two rebounds, eight assists, two steals and two blocks. Phenomenal. Filling the box score. Five threes. He shot good percentages. He also had his career best quarter, that third quarter. 18 points and three assists. Step back three. Catch and shoot three. O'Neal goes under the screen. Cade pops, hits a three. O'Neal bites on the pump fake. Cade hits a nice mid-range from the elbow. Over the head, sort of no look, driving down the lane, shoots it out to Hamadou in the corner, catch and shoot three. Assist for Cade. The Pistons scored 40 points in that quarter, and Cade was assisting on or scoring just about every single one of those points. Impacting every part of the game. On both ends, two steals and two blocks. Huge. And as a 20-year-old and a rookie, the very next day against the Bulls, he reminded us he has a long way to go in his development when he put up one of the worst games of his season against the Bulls. 8.7 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal on 27% shooting a game that the Pistons were in it for one quarter. The only quarter that Cade played well, that first quarter, he hit two threes. You thought, hey, maybe he's still hot from the night before. But of course it was not to be. And, you know, I think with that image of last night's, of the of the Jazz game, fresh in your head, watching this Bulls game, you're seeing almost two different Cades. And for me, and I'm just I'm just making this up, for me, one of the things that I think is obvious is he's not big enough. He's not strong enough. He doesn't have the stamina that he needs to have to play an 82-game season and to be consistent. Back-to-backs have been really rough for the Pistons this year. And these young guys, especially Cade, you know, he's a rookie. He gets tired. So that's what I mean when I say he doesn't have the size, the strength yet. I think he'll absolutely get there. He works very hard. He needs an offseason or two to put on that muscle to get more functional weight so he can really drive, not rely so much on his three-point shot. And when he has that three-level scoring, he has that option to pass out of it at any time, and that's what makes him so dangerous. So I love what we see from Cade. I love that we get big games like the Jazz game. I don't so much mind the Bulls game. You know, if you watch that game, you could turn it off. You can choose at some point to turn it off. It was a blowout. And I think that's smart. That's what I do for sure. (laughs) I'm watching these games. If they're getting to be a 30-point deficit, you just got to turn it off. Save yourself some time. But the point is, we're talking about the players and we're talking about Cade, the number one most important player, and he's developing fine. I think if he can just continue to be more consistent night to night, um, 
be look as sharp as he did in the Jazz game more often, that's all I care about. It's not going to happen every game. We know that. But the sharper he can look game to game, the better. Number two on the restoration ranker, we have Sadiq Bey. And I've put Sadiq also in a tier of his own called the starting five. I don't think there is a future in the next few years in which Sadiq Bey is not in the starting five of this Pistons team. Too important, too versatile. He's shown too much for us to not put him in this number two spot. Much like Cade, Sadiq has shown us already this season what his upside is. Most recently, in the game I talked about, that January 3rd game against the Bucks, when Sadiq had his career-high 34 points. Much like how we evaluate Cade, we have to have the understanding that Sadiq is 22, a second-year player, and as with any developing player, the highs and the lows are a package deal. This Bucks game capped off an amazing run of nine games, over which Sadiq averaged 25 points, eight and a half rebounds, three assists, to go with three threes a game on 45% shooting. 45% shooting on 17 and a half attempts a game is actually pretty good efficiency. The rest of that scoring bump comes from an increased free throw rate, up to six per game during this stretch, double his season average of three attempts per game. So this stretch of nine games, as I talked about already, it did coincide with multiple Pistons absences. Most importantly, though, the biggest Pistons absence that opened up this opportunity for Sadiq was Jeremy Grant's UCL injury. His thumb injury, he's still out. He may never come back to the Pistons lineup this ever. And what that did, when, when Jeremy left the lineup, his role as the number one shot taker on the team, which maybe he should not have been playing that role, but that role became available. And it wasn't totally obvious that Sadiq would experience a boom at this point. He was already playing like the second most minutes of anyone on the team, as he did last year, and taking a bunch of shots. That was never a problem. But with Grant out of the way and a new accessory, the now iconic headband, Sadiq really kicked into another gear. So he's having this great stretch, and then there's the three-game stretch in the middle of that, after Grant gets hurt, where Killian Cade and Isaiah Stewart and Saban Lee are all out for protocols. And though these games were very hard to watch, chalked full of G League guys, Sadiq's usage and playing time just went through the roof. And his efficiency dropped off in these three games, the G League games, as I call them. But arguably the most hopeful part of all of this is that his career best game is when Cade and Killian return to the lineup. So if you had doubts, what's he going to do You know, when, when they're full strength again? Is this role sustainable? Is this role really what he'll play in the future, or will it look different? 
you got that confirmation because he was playing well with them near full strength. And the reason this is all so exciting is that for basically all of November and half of December, six weeks, Sadiq was horrible in a major sophomore slump, a 20-game stretch during which Sadiq is a 30% shooter on 12 attempts a game. The shot is looking flat, forced. He's falling short a lot. He's got weird shooting habits, like passing up open catch-and-shoot threes to just take this weird sidestep dribble into a contested three. Like, I couldn't tell you why he did that so much, except that maybe he was imitating Jeremy Grant. Coming into this year, there was a sense that Sadiq was trying to expand his game. And to that, to his credit, he's more than doubled his two-point attempts, up to nearly seven a game from three and a half last year. And it seemed that in the process, he had lost maybe the essence of his game, his three-point shooting. But now we've seen it kind of come together. He's hitting threes. He's also able to be somewhat of a playmaker, to make these straight-line drives, to really bully his way. If there's anything that's really obvious to the eye about Sadiq, he's a big guy. You know, I think we kind of underestimate how big he is. Big and strong. 6'8", muscular. And at this point, I think it's pretty clear that Sadiq is the number two. Not only in the ranking, but as a playmaker, the number two playmaker, the secondary playmaker to go with Cade. Jeremy wasn't too much of a playmaker, was more of a shot taker. You know, he didn't see his playmaking as super important. He saw his shot making as really important. But I think Sadiq is a lot more flexible in how he fits in. He's willing to be the secondary playmaker. He's willing to be the secondary shot taker. And the fact that you have this guy means that if Cade is off, you have a guy to lean on. You have a next up. So I think that's really important. And I'm really excited for how sustainable this role seems in the future. And it was begging for a player to take it. Just be the, somebody be the secondary guy, somebody. And now I think we know it is Sadiq Bey. All right, moving on. And I'm going to try and speed this up because I know I took a little bit too much time on my Cade and Sadiq rants. I'm going to finish off this third tier. This is the NBA caliber tier. So these are the guys that are currently in the system that I think are going to be NBA caliber players but it's unclear at this point whether they will be starters or you know bench players, whether they will be on the Pistons or another team. It's unclear how long it will take some of these guys to get to that caliber, to get to that point. But for me, the third most important player on the roster is Killian Hayes. I did a show earlier in the year that wasn't publicly shared, but in that show I had said Killian was the second most important player. So I, I really value him. Um, and I really think he's only fallen one spot. He's still the third highest upside guy on the team. And it is partly because I still think the fit with Cade is potentially really good. For one, we've seen this season that they can form a really strong defensive front court. I'm sorry, backcourt. <laughs> one of the more exciting young defensive backcourts. 
And no, you don't hear people hype up such a thing. Oh, they play such good defense. You know, no one talks about defense. And yes, there have been plenty of NBA-level defenders who never make it because they never figure out the other side of the ball. I'm aware. And, and for the most part, that's killing it. But again, in assessing the young core, we have to keep in mind that we still have all season to figure it out. So by the end of the season, I'm still thinking Killian will probably be the third best player out of our young core. Of course, in this conversation, I'm not talking about Jeremy Grant. I'm not talking about Kelly Olynyk. These guys are good. They're obviously NBA caliber, yes, but they're not part of the future. So that's why they're not part of this conversation. But okay, back to Killian Hayes. We want to speed this up. What's he good at? He's proven that he's good at defense. He's a big body, 6'5". He's lengthy. He's got good strength. He looks a lot stronger than last year. That's something where he's taken a step forward. He's probably the best man-on-man defender on the team, of guards at least. And yeah, he has the ability to force a guy to have a bad night. But it happens few and far between. It's not an everyday thing. It's not like he's so good that you want to watch him play defense. Sometimes he's frustrating, overzealous, gets into foul trouble, gets into Dwayne Casey trouble. But anyway, the defense is not the part where we're really concerned. The offense is. And, we're, and I think it's fair to say that we're really concerned. Um, I think if you were to make a highlight reel of Killian from this year and last year, you would pretty much be starved for actual highlights. Um, There just haven't been that many. Killian is only playing 26 minutes a night and only attempting 6.8 shots per game. He's still really deferential, pass first, shoot never kind of mentality. Um, he's only attempted double-digit shots five times out of the 30 games that he's played this season. Luckily, for the purpose of this ranking, we do have like a big game to point to, and that is on November 13th against the Raptors, Killian had 13 points, 7 rebounds, 10 assists, and a block on only 7 shot attempts. He hit three threes and went 2 of 2 from the line. It was also the Pistons' third win of the season. So a big Killian game correlating with success of the team I don't think is a coincidence. But it was such an outlier that it's hard to really extrapolate from that. But I do want to just take that game and also take Tuesday's game against the Bulls and consider that across those two games, he's averaging 11 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, and 2 steals with half a block, and two threes. This profiles as a modern point guard, you know? And I've just taken one good game and one bad game and averaged them out. So that's not very scientific. But a low-scoring guard with decent rebounding, high assists, and high steals numbers is a player that can fit into a lot of systems, especially a system that already has its aggressive scoring guard, Cade Cunningham. Still, I think Killian's main issue is shooting and getting into consistent shot types that he can try over and over again. Every shot is like improvised. Every shot looks off balance. That's the story of his career. He has been a little better on catch and shoot this year, just keeping his feet still, looking more rigid and consistent with his three-point shot. But he's got to be able to attack the rim. He's got to be able to attack to the left 
He's got to be able to do those one hand off the dribble, no effort passes with his left hand that he flashes. He flashes these moments. They're just they're pretty few and far between. And so yeah, that's really where he needs to go. Get better on offense, have more impact with the assist numbers and the steals numbers. And I think there's something in there that can fit next to Cade. You know, he doesn't need the ball in his hands. But he can also distribute. That's a very valuable player when you have two good three-point shooters, Cade Cunningham and Sadiq Bey. All right, so now number four, a player who in my previous ranking was at number three, slides a spot down to four, and that's Isaiah Stewart, the nominal center, big man for the Pistons. Draft pick number 16 in the 2020 draft. Um, A lot like Killian, he hasn't improved very noticeably from last year to this. If anything, I think I'm a little more confused now about what Isaiah Stewart's role and style of play will be in the future, uh, you know, in the present and in the future. He's probably the player most affected by the poor roster construction that is leaving the Pistons extremely exposed at the five spot. Um, you know, Isaiah is 6'9". He is a center. He plays like a center, but he is a little bit undersized for a center. Only barely taller than Sadiq. Um, good teams just run over the Pistons. So um, if they have a big man, they're going to run us out of the paint. And Isaiah can only try. He doesn't get the help he needs. So that's one thing, right? And when we compare his rookie year to this year, He had a very different role last year. He was off the bench. And the Pistons in general played a system that featured a traditional center, Mason Plumlee, right, in the starting unit. And Beef really only got starters minutes for about a month at the end of the season, but otherwise was playing 20 minutes a game off the bench against second units. So he's getting good matchups. And mostly when his minutes went up at the end of the year, He's playing against teams that are tanking or, or shutting down their best players. You know, the game, the, the league gets kind of silly in that last month. So what we saw from Isaiah was, you know, pretty impressive um, filling the, the stat sheet last year, especially blocking shots, having some big rebound games, um, and just being a really high-energy, bouncy player, fun to watch, good instincts, looked like, you know, had the potential to exceed what, you know, his draft profile was um, heading into the draft. This year, he's playing three more minutes per game than last year. He's already started 32 games versus 14 last year. So he's really being put to the test. He's seen his efficiency from the field fall a little bit from 55 to 52% which is relatively important for a big man who takes almost all of his shots at the rim. You would expect that 55, which is pretty good, to hold. So to see it fall is a little bit disappointing. If you had any hope for his three-point shot, forget about it. That might be part of why it's fallen off. It's not like he takes a lot of threes, but his 33% shooting from three last year down to 10% this year, which means... In essence, I don't have it in front of me. He's made like two threes all year. So 
Um, basically, give up on that. We've seen some of those mid-range attempts, the pull-up jump shots from, from Beef this year. Um, but in really small samples, not much to go off, really. He's not looking to shoot very much. And in terms of his future role, right, his chemistry with Cade is very important. Cade is going to need a center to play with. And I'm not sure at this point what the best type of center is for Cade. Um, All I can say is I'm not sure that Isaiah is the right guy. But one thing that I've seen recently that I think is good, I'm happy for Isaiah to not shoot threes, right? When he gets the ball at the top of the key around the arc, the other team doesn't respect him. They give him plenty of space. And he needs to pick up a move or two out of this situation to turn it into points. For example, against the Jazz, the Pistons got off to a really slow start. And it was actually Isaiah Stewart who scored the team's first points. Early in the first quarter, left alone at the top of the three-point line with just acres of space. He could put up an easy wide-open three. He could put up a wide-open mid-range shot. Like, he, he can take this space and choose which level he wants to shoot at. An amazing, uh, you know, disrespect, basically, from the Jazz. Not expecting him to score. But, you know, he puts it on the floor, and a couple dribbles later, he's putting his body into Whiteside, and he's putting up a nice lay-in. Goes in. So he didn't have to take a shot that's outside of his wheelhouse. What he had to do was put the ball on the floor. I'm not saying he needs to be a ball handler. I'm really not saying that. But he needs some moves out of that wide open look. Don't shoot the three, but you need to do something productive out of that look because that's ruining our spacing. And until you can do something with it, teams are just going to give it up. They're going to give that shot to Isaiah. So, you know, I think what goes right along with that is like, can Isaiah develop as a passer? Not to say he needs to get huge assist numbers, but some sort of pass different than the telegraphed pass. You know, that decision making is is really lacking for most of the Pistons at this point. Their offense doesn't run very smoothly. There's not a lot of movement for passers to find open shooters. So it's a team wide issue as well. And it's a really high bar to expect Isaiah to become like a mini Bam Adebayo. But I think his future role is up in the air. Even though his role in the present this year is secure and he is in no danger of losing playing time or being traded or anything like that, I just need him to define his future role a little bit more. I, I don't know what it is at this point other than jumping and being really bouncy and playing with energy, which only gets you so far. But it does get your foot in the door, and that actually segues me pretty conveniently to my final segment of this show, talking about the final two players, Hamadou Diallo and Saban Lee. I'm going to group them together because I know this show has gone really long. Hamadou Diallo, absolutely an NBA caliber athlete. 6'6", 6'7", maybe, long arms, built, and one of the best leapers, one of the most impressive jumpers in the league, doesn't need a load up, can hit his head on the backboard. Um, That part jumps off the page when you watch him play. And that's also sort of his best role so far with the Pistons. 
a slasher, leaper, dunker, you know, a guy that's finishing plays more so than starting them. Um, and, you know, and it's because he has some clear deficiencies in his game. He's not a shooter, 27% from three this year. For his career, he's probably around that number as well. And you see his form on his shot. And you know straight away, that's not a very good shot. That's not very consistent. Not going to go in. Um, so he's not much of a shooter. And that is a big deficiency in his game when you're asked to play with Cade Cunningham. You're asked to play with a ball-dominant player who can find you for open looks. You have to be able to knock him down. Big area of improvement for him. Maybe he tries to improve as the season goes on. But, you know, I also think he's already valuable as a slasher, leaper, dunker, and a defensive playmaker, a guy getting 1.3 steals per game. He obviously has blocks potential. Um, As we said, he plays above the rim. So anything's possible. And, you know, as long as he stays focused, as long as he's in the team, I think he has a chance to stick. But I'm not sure exactly where his next gear comes. Where does he get better? As a shooter, I think it'd be a miraculous improvement if he were to noticeably improve as a shooter. Maybe too much to ask. We'll see. I think uh, Hamadou has already opened my eyes to his ability. Um, and you know, ultimately, I think he's an NBA player. Saban Lee, my sixth most important player in the rebuild. Um, there's a lot to love about Saban. Second round pick in 2020. G League player of the month. Uh, in that first month in October, 40 points a game or something like that. He's clearly too good for the G League. I think he's clearly an NBA talent. Um, But much like Hamadou, you know, it's not clear exactly if he should be in the second unit, first unit, if he should just run the second unit or maybe try and play with Cade. Um, That's an option for Hamadou as well. Just take him out of the starting lineup and let him run the second unit. I don't know what's better, right? I think we'll see, and hopefully we get sample sizes of of everything to pull on as we analyze the rest of the year but um yeah here's a guy who can do it all a little bit i think he's underestimated as an athlete he's 6'3 so he's a little diminutive but he can throw down a highlight dunk he almost did against the bulls he had a really close one (laughs) you know it's always unfortunate to miss a dunk but um there aren't many pistons that even try that you know there aren't that many pistons that are that aggressive getting to the rack and I think that's a part of his game that we see in the G League we haven't so much seen at the NBA level but we could it's there we know it could be it could be (laughs) that could be reality Um, and it's just a matter of fitting into his role becoming more comfortable and yeah just another guy that we should really watch out for but that I think is absolutely NBA ready and I know I'm at 43 minutes this is the longest podcast I've ever done um, it's also my launch show. So I, I don't want to be this guy that just rambles and rambles. So I'm going to end the show. I'm not going to talk about the rest of the players in our restoration pipeline. Another day we will talk about that. Um, but for today and for now, I'm signing off. We're going to have our game on Friday against the Raptors. I'll probably do a show after that just to give you all a sense of the game day type of show that we'll do. It'll be much shorter, probably closer to 15 to 20 minutes. Um, But until then, I'm Joey. Go Pistons.